0: MetCloud, get connected,
1: cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at metcloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com.
0: Welcome back everyone to the Vanguard Podcast. And my guest today is Dr. Phil Bell, who is Chief Operations Officer of Art Health Solutions, who are an organization utilizing scientific methods, tools, and processes to support organizational and employee health, well being, and performance. Art Health's mission is to empower people to take the best care of their well being by creating cutting edge technologies that deliver data driven, actionable insights. Phil has a PhD in exercise physiology from Northumbria University, and prior to Art Health, held the role of principal scientist at GSK Human Performance Lab. Phil, welcome, and thanks for joining me today on the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Scott. Uh,
0: it's it's great, and I, I've I've read a lot about um, uh, your your background and what you've been up to. But I'd I'd love to get the Phil Bell story. You know, from high school, the path into science, and the PhD, and you know all that good stuff to where you are now, which is at Art Health. So, can you give us a, a potted history?
1: Yeah, sure, no problem. Um- I guess, um, I, I, as you've probably done from reading about me already, you'll you'll, you'll know that I'm um, I have a, a deep rooted background in sport. And I guess taking that from my high school days, if you like, um, I was a, a pretty competitive sportsman across um, a, a multitude of sports, um, a bit of a, a jack of all trades, and never quite mastered one, unfortunately. <laughs> um, um, but but did okay. But it was it was that love of of playing sport um that kind of directed my my education and and ultimately where I've ended up up now really um so yeah so you know played um you know fairly decent level cricket, fairly decent level football um did a, a scholarship over in the US um playing football for a little while and and came back and and did university but it, it again it was that that love for sport and interest in sport that kind of directed me in terms of what I wanted to study about and um, once I knew I was kind of... Probably not going to make it as a, a full time professional, and um, I guess you know off the, the back of the the stint I did in the US, I, I did a, a degree in, in sports science here um, at Northumbria University up in Newcastle. Um, off off the back of that, um, I. I as a lot of people kind of do off sports size degrees thought I'm going to be a PE teacher or something <laughs> like that. And yep. I went, I went and worked in a school for a little while. Um, as a, a PE technician as it was at the time, which was kind of a bit of a route into teaching. Um, but, um, randomly I managed to actually get a professional kick as a footballer for one year, um, which didn't last very long. Um, it was nice while it happened, but, um, again, it, it just kept reinforcing, you know, that, that golden thread of, of sport was being involved and, Still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do off the back of that. Went in and did a a master's degree um, down at Leeds Met, Um, at which point I started to see, um, I guess, a bit more of a broader um, application of what I had learned around um, sort of sports and and physiology um, in in the more, the health side of things, the more clinical side. And um, I was lucky enough to get a, a role um, at um, uh, Nuffield Health, which is a private healthcare provider, yep. um, as, a, as a physiologist with those guys, um, would essentially conduct um, health and well-being um, MOTs, if you want to call them that, uh, which kind of allowed me to utilise the skills and, and knowledge I'd acquired through through my, my masters and my uh, my undergrad degree. Um, but there was still a bit of a, a an inkling and a, a, a need for sport in there um and after a couple of years there I decided that I, I, if, I, if i do want to work in elite sport or it, within a sporting context i need i need more than just what i had um and at which point there was an opportunity to um apply for a phd program back at northumbria uni where i'm from in newcastle um and was lucky enough to to get on that and spend the next so sort of, three or four years um doing that and I guess um, crafting my I guess specialist area of, of sort of recovery from exercise, the physiology around that, which is just kind of um, my bag, if you like. And and off the back of that, I was able to to get a, a job um, in something called the the GSK Human Performance Lab. Um, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, for those of yep. you who don't know, um, big pharma, consumer healthcare company, um, multinational, huge organization. Um, but they set up this human performance lab which was essentially um a lab that was designed to work with elite athletes provide them with um sports science support to help them do whatever they do better whether that be jump further run faster um go somewhere different whatever it may be um we were there to support them and and in exchange for supporting them in this high spec high tech lab in exchange for doing that for free they kind of um sold their sold their their bodies to us a little bit to, to do research or at least Give access to some of their their um, cohorts, um, gotcha. and that in that research that we did would then um, be back translators kind of back translate, sorry, um, to the the wider GSK's kind of exploratory um, research that they could start to um, um, develop products and, and innovate on and um, things that that they already um, had going. Um, at that, uh, that that came to an end um, around about five five or six years ago there now, um, at which point um, myself and uh, my now business partner um, got our heads together um, and, and decided to set up ART. Um, and, and here we are today um, providing, uh, I guess, corporate healthcare um, support from a, an evidence and data-based um, perspective. Um, and yeah, that's a... a a part of history. Um could be deal, but I hadn't tried to get through it.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic, Phil. I really appreciate that. You know, there's there's probably so many tangents we could go off right now on, you know, professional football, uh, cricket, obviously, from from my perspective, yeah, um, sure. all that, but we'll 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 leave that for another time. But um um I, I guess the first question I'm gonna ask you here and before we get into, you know, a couple of other things, but um one thing that really hit me here was as you were going through school, it was all about the sports, right? And there are so many kids out there and there are so many parents of children out there that are worrying at the moment, you know, kids are going through their GCSEs or their SATs or or whatever. Um, From my perspective, you know, children trying to determine uh, courses they need to take for their A-levels and and all that kind of thing – to try and define what they're going to do in their careers. Now, you and I both know that most of the time at 16, 17, 15 years old, you have no idea what you're going to do, but for you, it was all about sports. For me at the time, it was all about engineering, which led into sports because a bit like you, I was always pretty good at most sports I did, um, but couldn't really, you know, excel at one, I I guess cricket one out, but, um, were you always scholastic, or were you always into that intellectual side of things? What were, were you always one of those kids that oh, he's a smart kid, he's in the top you know five percent of the group? Um, because obviously, people associate a PhD and a doctorate as you know massively intellectual or massively intelligent, and I'm not saying people aren't. But what I'm trying to define here was sports seemed to be the catalyst, not education. So how how did that you know transpire to be together?
1: Yeah, no, I, I would. Um very much like what you're saying that that i was um i guess i've always, I've always been smart enough intelligent enough yeah. um and i think at, at kind of um high school level and up towards gcse um i could kind of get away um get away with it to an extent of being a, a relatively intelligent kid Na- naturally I, you know i i wouldn't say i was the best student in the world but yeah. um i i could I could get away with it to an extent. Um, I wasn't a terrible student, but I certainly wasn't, um, you know, committing hours and hours and hours to, to studying. It was very much my, it, it was alongside my sport, which I was committing hours and hours and hours to. Yeah. Um, I guess at the next phase of my educational um, stop, if you like, um, that's where I got a little bit found out, to be honest, because I think when you move from GCSEs up to A-levels, it was quite a big jump um and um whilst I was still trying to continue along the sporting lines um I probably made a slightly bad decision in that I didn't go to a, a school sixth form I went off to a college where there's a lot more freedom um yeah. and and I didn't it, it didn't I say it didn't click for me the reason it didn't click is because I, I I didn't put in what I needed to at that at level I was I guess I was lucky enough that I was quite good at sport that allowed me to to get the scholarship in America um where you know, I could. I, I got in based on a single test, the SAT test. People may have heard of before. Yep, um, yep. They, they didn't really look at my a levels, um, which is a good job because I. I didn't really get. it. I got a B and an E. I think it was. Right. Um. Which you know doesn't really tally up with someone who's gone on to do a PhD. Um. But I think what it possibly does show is that it, it also isn't the be all and end all at that age. Um. Because there is different routes t- to doing things. So. I think that the golden thread was always for me was sport, and I guess it was a little bit of a wake up call um, at that that A level time of my life, and and thankfully I had the sport to fall back on a little bit, but that also gave me the route into further education. Um, so I think you know what I what I would probably try to say around all of that is is there's a several ways to skin a cat and. Yep. And I don't think necessarily my route is correct or someone else's route is correct. And being a heavily academic or heavily sport, I just think if you've got a passion for something, you will find the right, find a way to get to it. And there might be some wake-up calls along the way. Um, but for me anyway, um, it, it it got me to to a point where, you know, I was able to to do both my sport um and study um in an area that I was really passionate about.
0: Love that. I love that. There's there's a there's a quote right there, Phil. Passion, passion for something—you'll always find a way.
1: There we go. <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. So, um, so I guess we, you know, I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about art and and setting up with your with your partner in what was it five years ago? I think you said. Yeah. And because one of the things that that is really prevalent now, I think, in not only just in big companies but but smaller companies is employee health. Um, I think it's a huge topic, and I I, I beg to differ with anyone that says that companies are not looking at employee health nowadays, you know, whether it's, whether it's their, you know, welfare, whether it's, um, you know, healthy body, healthy mind. For an example, I did a walk this morning and then I'm doing catch to 5k. Um, so I jumped on the treadmill in the garage after I did my 5k, uh, 4k walk. And you know what? The whole morning has been so productive because I've just felt amazing. You know, I'm 50 years old. I'm overweight. Um, but you know, it's it's amazing how you feel, and I think companies are really doing that. I work for a company that, that that gives wellness days, and I think that's becoming. You know, there's more companies doing four day weeks, all about all about employees' well being. Tell me from from your point of view what you've seen, and also what Art's doing. Um, you know, your company's doing to to mm. promote this and help the people that you work with.
1: Yeah, um, so I think when, when we first started, um, Art. Um, We recognised that, and this was pre-pandemic, we we, we recognised that there was lots of stuff, I'll put inverted commas, going on from a occupational health, well-being side of things that in in organisations that, although it was probably well-intended, wasn't particularly well-informed, directed, and was perhaps a little bit um, tick-boxy from an HR perspective. Um, And that's not having to go up people in HR. That is, HR is so broad, they know they have to cover off um occupational health health and well-being. Of course. But they don't necessarily have the resource to do it. Um, and what we felt was there was a, a real market opportunity for us um to provide something that made it a lot more bespoke in terms of what your organization and your people need um by using, you know, we're scientists by background, you using data and science to inform what is actually going on with your people in your workforce. Not what is going on in someone else's workforce? You see, you know, a lot of white papers coming out there saying X amount of productivity was improved or the X amount of this, that, and the other. It's like, okay, you've taken a cross section of people across the world or whatever industry, that's not your people. So why are you using somebody else's information to inform what what you should do? So we we felt as though, you know, there's an opportunity for people to get more of a return on investment because they are using data that's collected from, from from their people. Yep. Um, so that that was kind of um I guess where we originated from and I think since um since the pandemic as you've uh, alluded to it's it's only gained and snowballed massive momentum um I think employers and CEOs and, and senior leaders are, are so much more um attuned to the importance of the employee and the functioning of their business and there's more links starting to sort of be created in people's brains around well, if I've got healthier, happier, high-performing employees, that can only be a healthier, happier, higher-productive business, yep. better-operating business. And I think one of the things what we're often challenged with is you know, um, particularly if you talk to to a CFO, "What what's my financial return on this?" Um, and I think that's you know, we we would always point it back to, "Well, you've got a." Uh, um, a healthier workforce, which means you're more likely to reduce your absenteeism. Yep. You've got to have a healthy, happier workforce, which means you're more likely to to retain your staff. Um, and you put those two things together and you've got to be more productive, which means from a bottom line, business bottom line perspective, you should have more cash in the bank. And, and anyway, I don't think that should be a massive, massive leap of faith. The difficulty is, is organisations want that dollar to be shown straight away. And with health and well-being programs and interventions, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to see a change in absenteeism or productivity or retention in in three weeks' time. You're going to see it in th- three months, six months, 12 months. And you have to have that and um, in, invest, I guess, in that um, that way of thinking to see the, 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 the benefit down the end. Um, so, you know, I think... People are starting to recognise that, which is which is good. We're always trying to educate around that as much as we we possibly can, um, and hopefully, you know, organisations will will continue down that that thought process as we go forward, and, and everyone benefits from it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely right. One of the things that um, one of your your phrases I, I've read somewhere, you know, is about investment, uh, return on investment versus value of investment. And I think this is a perfect scenario here, isn't it? You know, um, you can show the value of your investment and the return on, on the investment with what you do by the fact of the matter is more people are healthier more people less absenteeism of staff you know productivity rate probably goes up people are happier what they do so less less staff attrition or less staff changeover um, so there's so many elements of that return on investment that that you can point just by just by having a healthy and happy workforce
1: yeah exactly and I think you know one that the value of investment piece it, it ultimately leads to a return on investment it's yeah. just putting that value in your mind to start with um in that you know you've got this happy healthier workforce happier healthier workforce and that is value in its sense on its own before you know even from an ethical perspective it's better to have that than not and it's just the byproduct of it will be a return investment but you just have you have to give it time to to circulate uh, through of course um and, and not get stuck um in in numbers at the very very beginning of it because it's very difficult to quantify from a financial perspective anyway and you know I think what we do is we, we feel so we can quantify changes in health well-being and performance we we can quantify that yeah but putting those those metrics into pound or dollar signs immediately is pretty difficult um you know, particularly without sharing, you know, your, your absentees and rates and your retention and things that you're not necessarily going to want to always you know, make public. So, yeah, um, it, it's, you know, I, I, I personally think it should be a massive leap of faith to go from value to, to return investment. And that's something that we're always trying to push.
0: It's it's a good one, and just a just a side question on that, if I may, Phil. And that is with the CEOs of the organisations that you're speaking to, and no doubt you're speaking to a cross section of businesses when you when you, when you do your your business and 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 um and, and you know help organisations with their with their policies. But from a from a feedback from CEO level, are they getting it? It's
1: it it's certainly moving in the right direction. Um, it, it, it's i think often the ceo the ceo is actually more amenable than the cfo if you like <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah the ceo you know is much it's a broader remit and and they, they get it you know they get it and it you know and it's the, it, it like i say it doesn't take a massive it, it's, it's not massively of faith it's quite um logical to follow those steps i think yes yeah, from the, the cfo's perspective is they, they're tasked with, you know, looking after the looking after the pounds and ensuring whatever their their spending is providing a return. And um, I th- I think the the the, the wheel is still, certainly turning. There's more thing that needs to be done, but I think it, it as more organisations start to embrace, you know, the health and wellbeing and and being the uh, side of things. It's going to become kind of a, it becomes an expectation, um, and I think it's you know one of the points is, is it it's kind of being more driven from the bottom up as well because you know you know the new generation of workers um, they are they're a bit different to, to previous generations in terms of it's not all necessarily about how many pounds or dollars you can throw in front of them they've got different values and you know a lot a lot around sustainability and, and ways of living and climate and things like that but also about how are you looking after me as a person rather yep. than just give me an extra 5,000 pounds and I'll come and work for you? Well, actually I'd rather go to a place that's got a, a much better culture that wants to look after me. It does the right things because that's what I value. Um, yep. Those are my values as a, as a, as a generation. Um, and those, we, we are starting to see that that come through a little bit there now and hear that when we do talk to organizations they're having those those same um, those same conversations with the potential employees so um yeah that, that bottom-up um, view i think is is really um something that that organizations need to be aware of if data had a sound It could be this, the sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MetCloud, get connected, cyber safe.
0: It's a really good point you mentioned culture and and culture is one that um you know a, again it's another buzzword in 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 all industries now isn't it you know i've got mm-hmm. the best culture you know mm-hmm. i'm i'm developing a culture within the business but do you think now that that the cultures that are being developed within businesses well well-being and the the performance element that that well-being can bring is being written into that culture policy
1: uh <laughs> I think in some some ways it's being embedded. In some organisations it will be, and and you know, particularly the, the forward thinking ones, yes. Um yeah. and yeah. I think it's vital that it should be. And the ones that are doing it will be the ones that's that is essentially uh, ultimately um are, are more successful um because of this, I guess, new way of thinking and new values and what is important to the to the new generation of um of employees. I think the days are gone of you know turning up for work and you know just uh, being there as a, a, a I guess a production line and then go go home and and the the is being happy because the, the 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 dollar signs turning over. Yeah, I think yeah. Th- those days are gone because they'll be outperformed by the businesses that are both getting the work done, getting the productivity. But we've also got happier workforces and healthier workforces because their their overheads are going down because the aforementioned savings on absenteeism and um, and retention and attraction, um, but they're also getting the, I guess, the compound effect um, of, of of those people um, becoming more experienced and more productive within the business. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think if it's not being written into policy or written into um, uh, whatever culture documents that they want to provide, then it, it, it it's missing a trick. And I'd be surprised if you know um, the new generation of leaders aren't already. Thinking that way,
0: yeah, I definitely agree. And you know, you're a scientist, so you're data driven. Mm. Um, most individuals now are more data driven than ever before. I would say so. You know, that data correlated with you know happy, happy staff and 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 better perform. You know, better attendance of staff and so forth. That must all correlate to a to a, a good culture within a business, surely.
1: Yeah, but it, it it's got to. I mean, it's yeah. it. I it, say again, it, it those things just will correlate um there's no two ways it's kind of it's kind of cause and effect to an extent yeah um so yeah you know i think it's you know if, if you're not building that stuff in then you know your your business is going to fall behind
0: yeah you're falling behind absolutely agree absolutely agree love that um we we like to talk about innovation on the vanguard podcast and and you know um In every industry, there's innovation. Some industries are more innovative than others, of course. But um, from a sports science perspective, you know, using that data to support health, well-being, performance, it's been around a while at high performance level, but we are now starting to see it come into amateur sports and the business world. Is there anything that's really innovative in your world or in your business at the moment that, that, that you can, you know, you can put a finger on and say, this is where it's going to be in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think the first point around, I guess, innovation, and uh, I guess around what we do is, um, what what we what's allowed us to do what what we do is is essentially that the commercialization of a lot of technologies, right? So, um, you know, 15, 15, 15 years ago, smartwatches were probably non-existent, right? Um, and you know, now, now, you know, uh, you know, most people or a lot of people um have got a smartwatch, and we know from yeah. the from the data and the forecasting that you know a high proportion of you know at least western societies anywhere are going to have some form of um smart which allows you know data collection and people to be able to to access their their, their health health metrics so you know that that innovation you know it, itself is is has helped us um drive drive our business and um, i think you know from the. An innovative side, I was going to point to one thing that that we do and that we feel is really, um, really sets us apart and allows us um, to provide some really important feedback to, to our clients and end users um, is the piece around um, is around cognitive um, um, performance, if you like, and um, and what I mean by that is, as part of our uh, part of our service, we have some little tests that are basically um, you you complete on an app, a bit like brain training exercises that mm-hmm. you know many people have came across before. Um, but essentially, what we we've done we've um, we have um, digitized um, clinic validated um, neuro, neuroscience tests, and these three tests look at memory, um, distractibility, and, and decision making. Now, those. Three things in themselves, they aren't productivity. Um, And you know, people say, "Well, you know, what you know, is this improving productivity?" Um, That's not what we're saying. But what what we can say is that if you have got good short performance of short term memory, you do have um, low distractibility, and you have got good decision making going on at the start of your day, you're in a position to be more productive. You know, that's that's a given. It it doesn't, you know, productivity. One person means being really creative. To another person, it means answering loads of you know as many phone calls as they can in an hour and it's different things to different people so you know that that productivity term we we kind of stay away from in terms of what our specific service um looks at um but what we can say is that as a proxy for that if you're in a good place with those three things then you're in a very good place to be productive that that day um and we we also look to you know we also try to kind of stay away from you know one thing being a cause of an effect of another and you know we, we tie that data in with other things that are going around, around how you're feeling um, at that day from a, a mental health side of, side of things, um, what your environment is like from a, um, you know, whether it be the, the acoustics, the lighting, uh, and then also filtering in, you know, how your um, um, health metrics have, have came into that, whether you may have had good sleep, bad sleep, you may have, had you know, met your targets on your exercise, all these things and pulling all these things together is, is the innovative side really. Um, rather than try to be reductionist and, and say this causes this, is these are the things that we are recognising that have been going on across the last few days, or today, or this morning, or yesterday, and this is what we would recommend about how to go how to go about the rest the rest of your day.
0: So it's 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 bringing all that data together because you know there's data coming in from all sorts of avenues nowadays. Like you say, you know, um, I'm sitting here with my Apple Watch on, for instance, yep. you know, and that's just gathering so much data about my body that's you know there's probably more than I even need to know about. Um, but it's getting all that together, correlating that, analyzing all that data, and putting it into one fixed output or something like that, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you think about a bit, like it's a bit like a broth. You know, you stick, yeah. you stick all your different ingredients in, and then you get something nice that coming out at the end of it. but You get get one nice thing, and um, that that's very much what we're we're, we're trying to, to show you. It's a very it's a holistic look on 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 health and well being, but it says data driven because it's your data, and um, not somebody else's data. It's your data that's yeah. just driving it, and the output that you get at the end of it, um, where you should focus your your interventions or, or whatever how you how you run your day, is based upon. Um, this, um, collective insight rather than a single, a single reductionist type approach where it's like you did this many steps or you did this performance or you've had this type, you know, it's putting it all together and and using our expertise and, and, and our sort of technology to pull all that together and see where the relationships lie and then be able to give you an output that is useful for you that day.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Really does. Um. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, Phil, um, as we as we wrap up the main part of uh, of our um, of our podcast here, a, a couple of things actually. You know, you, you spoke about the future, and 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 it's all about that data coming in. I'm, I'm assuming the future also involves around using AI to put all that together.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much. so. I kind of half alluded to it there, just in that yeah. last, last last little sentence there. But yeah, so we're we're developing our our technology to essentially do that um do that um variable relationship analysis force so yeah. it, you know because if you think about it, you've got you know let's just make up a number 20, 20 different metrics coming in from thousands of different people at a time um over different time zones of a different we, we need to we, we can't be physically personally analyzing that ourselves. you know it, it you know so the the ai that we've we all have and and are continued to build upon um, is is doing that for us and you know really allows us to to push out data driven insights um that are based again like I said I keep mentioning is based on your data not not somebody else's data um and I think you know AI in itself is um is going to have a, a huge role across health and well being as a as a whole a whole industry um, yeah. but what I, say, what I will say is that you know from an AI perspective the the outputs are kind of only as good as the algorithms that can be built by the humans in the first place. Um you know we've got things like machine learning and deep learning and things like that. Um, but it all starts it all starts with a, a human input. So yep. designing them, it's just the it's the it's the it's the automation and the the speed at which um the um the computers and the technology can work at which which adds the benefit to that.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I love that and and as you say, um the, the thing that resonates with me with all the with all the points you've made is you're talking about your data you're not using you know i spoke to 100 people and across the board this is this no this is using your data and using metrics derived from ai that will tell you where you need to be what you need to do i i love it i think it's i think it sounds good it's amazing isn't it too as you get older um these metrics and analyzing, you know, your body and, and what your body's telling you now is more important now than it's ever been. You know, it's, um, you know, when you and I were both 25 years old playing cricket and, and you know, playing a three-day game and all of a sudden you think, oh, I'm a little bit sore, but, you know, I'll get over it. Nowadays it's all about, okay, what do I need to eat to improve if I'm going to keep Today and then we could Keep tomorrow, you know. I want my legs to be ship shape. I want to be doing this, and 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 you're getting all that data. It's really interesting. I I I'm really I'm going to keep a very close eye on it because it's uh it's something I'm very much interested in. Um, when when I was a kid, Phil, um, there was a there was a, an organization or a, a a place in Australia called the Australian Institute of Sport. Yeah. And the Australian Institute of Sport in the 80s was probably you know, globally one of the most innovative organisations around high-performance sport in the world at that time. Um, and and by the way, I'm reading their blurb that I learnt when I was a kid, so it may be wrong. Um, but but what, what I'm trying to say here is that I remember Australia took the goal, you know, we're going to get our athletes and we're going to do this we're going to do that we've got scientists to do this and and you know i know a lot of countries copied the australian institute of Mm. sport in, in various ways was there a pioneer in that industry that set that up maybe not in australia but maybe you know in germany or america or here in the uk is there a pioneer or someone that you went i want to be like that i want to i want to be mentored by that individual um and and indeed is that something that you would love to do moving forward as as a you know a a, a fairly big name in the sports science area. Would you love to, you know, try and mentor and help the next generation of sports scientists?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you've mentioned that the AIS, Um, because if I, if I was going to think of a, an organization or a, a philosophy on how, how to, or how our um, organization and philosophy is founded on it, you know, I'd look at the likes of the AIS and oh, really? the, the UK version, the EIS. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, um because I've, I've worked with people in, in both organizations uh, earlier in my, in my career. Yep. Um, and, I, you know, I think, you know, the the philosophies that they had around, um, you know, it being not just about what's happening on the pitch or on the track or, or whatever, it, it's about that whole support network is very much what we're all about. As I mentioned before, it's about this holistic impact of everything yes. that's going on in your life. And, you know, it, going through not just about what you i say what you're performing on your training in your day to day so it it was going for us well well, what what does their sleep look like what pillows are they taking away are they taking their own pillows away with them what what are their normal routines who do they need all these um what they would call performance support um angles of looking at things rather than just the um the coaching and the 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 side the sort of the physiological science that goes on in a uh, and i say on a day-to-day basis and that, that philosophy again you know really sets up nicely for what we do as an organization it's holistic it's trying to take everything into account so that the the end the end point is is beneficial for you and can help you be more towards your your optimal optimal self and um, from a you know a, a person standpoint would a mentorship standpoint very much so you know i like you know i like to to think you know that i've got a, a relatively good you know, broad take on on things um, in in the industry, and you know, I still do do the odd bit of um, bit of lecturing here and there to um, you know tell a little bit like I did, I guess at the start a bit more deal around career and development mm-hmm. and how I've got to where I've got to, but also again around what you've alluded to around philosophy of of um, of, of uh, I guess of, of how we operate and, and particularly in that that sports arena, um, how it's um, it, it's more than just about what goes on on the track or on the, on the, on the field, it's, it's, you need to take everything all all the inputs and and then you can make a, a, an informed decision on what the output, um, or, or how you can improve the output anyway.
0: Love it. I, I I always so in my career, obviously, um, you know, sports always been very, very important to me and, and I've always taken that sports philosophy into my business career, whether it's uh working as a team, managing a team, um, you know, leading from the front, those type of those type of um sports mentalities into my sales career. I I'm I, I think I'm very lucky to have had that experience that mm. I could bring into my sales career. And um, you know, I, I try and help others so you know mentoring show them the career path that they could take um the mistakes i made uh and there's a lot of them by the way phil um (laughs) but but, you know just i i i completely resonate with all that And, and i think you know taking a sports mentality or a team mentality into a business world has only been good and there's been no negative from that whatsoever so um Uh, I I love some of the points you've made. Thank you so much for running through that, by the way. We're we're starting to come to the end of time now. But I I really love the way that uh, you're bringing, you know, this kind of, I, I guess you you have a phrase, don't you? The Olympics to the office, and I I, I really I really love that. I think that's uh, that's a great phrase. Tell me, I I, I want to go into the quickfire three. These are these are questions I'm going to ask you. Whatever comes to the top of your head, please answer um, as clearly and, and as uh, and as freely as you want. But um, is there a failure in your career that you turned into something really positive or career defining? Um.
1: I um, wouldn't say this is a failure, um, but it was certainly a a, a crossroads, uh, yeah. which is basically when we started the business. So, as I mentioned when I, I earlier, I worked at GSK. Um, our whole business unit got made redundant. Nothing personal towards yeah. any one of us. No. but as a big organisation can do, they can you know and reinvest the money elsewhere, and you know. So, I guess you know it wasn't a failure, but it was certainly a crossroads and an opportunity that that we took with both hands.
0: Love that. I think everyone in their career at some point will go through redundancy or or whatever. So, coming to those crossroads and taking the path, whether it's the right path the first time or the second time or the third time, it's it's being able to look back and see what you learned from those crossroads and and making those decisions that uh, that helps you get forward. I think. Definitely. Um, really love that. What what um. If you could go back in time, and uh, I know you're still a, a very young man, so um you know, sure. <laughs> but um, if you could go back to your twenty year old self, what what advice would you give yourself? Um, I would say,
1: try and be live in the present
0: as uh, much as you yeah. can and
1: absorb and be there with it. um I think as I get older, I wish I'd done more of that. And, and when you reflect, you see I had some absolutely amazing times and, and um, amazing experiences and, and just wish I'd absorbed them more at the time. Um, so, yeah, be present.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good one. And, and, you know, certainly in my case, some of the things I did and the people I got to spend time with, fortunately got to spend time with, got to play against and that, mm. we had no camera phones. So, yeah. you know. Um, it's all in the mind. It's all up there. Um, and and uh, hopefully that stays that way as well. We, we spoke about philosophy and, and, um, and so forth earlier, what you live by. But do you have a favorite quote that you like um, or, or, you know, you run by? And I'll, I'll make an example. You know, one of the things, and people on the podcast have heard me probably use this quote numerous times, but one of the things my late father always said to me was a champion team always beats a team of champions. Um nice. and it's one of those quotes that you know just resonates. It just resonates and resonates and resonates. And so many times, and you've probably seen this more than more than anyone. It's it's yeah. true, right? It's so yeah. true. Um it, 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 yeah. yeah. So it you- kind of takes me um that it has got very similar to the one I I'll,
1: I'll kinda of give you. I'll give you that in a little bit of a philosophy one as well. But yeah, um yeah, I mean uh you know. I guess from the the quote side and um, I don't know it is a quote it's my quote um <laughs> s- surround yourself with people who are cleverer than you yeah. I don't know, even though yeah. cleverer is a word yeah. um probably It is there's now. now but yeah, yeah. surround yeah. you yeah smart, smart smarter than you um and you know it, it very much aligns with what you said about uh, uh, the, the champions and team of champions yeah. um and I guess that though that philosophy side and I guess this is more more of a general thing and um, is um I've always thought it important to make one more friend than one more enemy. Um, and and for me, that, that means you, you may have, um, you know, opportunities in your life and conversations in your life with people that you don't necessarily see eye to eye with or, or fully agree with, but that doesn't mean you need to create an enemy out of them. Absolutely, um, and I think there's a way of, there's a way of navigating conversations and a way of, presenting yourself and being matter about things that means because you just don't know in the future. So yeah, have one more friend rather than one more enemy.
0: I think that's a great one. And what a great way to finish off, Phil. Thank you so much. I've, um, there's so much to learn and there's, there's so much to, to read into if anyone, I, I, you know, if anyone doesn't go away from listening to this podcast and say, you know what, I'm going to l- learn a little bit more about, um, sports science or, or well being or performance analytics for, for, for stuff. Seriously. They probably won't be listening to the podcast that much longer. But um I, I you know, I, I think it's been great. There's so many things I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna look at now for for certainly my team. And um, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier is about, you know, kids trying to trying to get through and trying to work out what they wanna do in their careers. And and this is a perfect example of, you know, follow your dream and find out what comes out of it, you know. Um and I think that's that's really inspiring. So Phil, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with me th- today, and, and um, I, I really appreciate your time and, and good luck with art, and uh, hopefully we can get catch up and have a beer face to face or at a cricket ground someday.
1: Definitely sounds good. Thanks very much for having me.: Thanks, Phil. Cheers, guys. thanks.
0: My thanks to Phil for his time today and running through his journey of sportsman to scientist and how data and analytics can be used to promote well-being and success in the boardroom equally as much as on the sports field. A few things Phil said during our chat resonated with me and first it's the comment he said if you have a passion for something you'll always find a way. It's so true in so many things we do, whether it's breaking a hundred in golf or aspiring to a position in our career, or even that dream car we've always wanted. You know, entrepreneurs have a passion for their business, their brand and success, and they find a way to succeed. Secondly, the emphasis on using your data to produce plans and schedules to suit you. Not just a checkbox course to say that you've been trained or tooled up to be successful, but making sure that any analysis or plans are factored around your requirements which will deliver better results. Finally, Phil said he wishes his 20-year-old self knew to live life in the present and absorb the experiences. And that's something that I want to do myself moving forward. Great advice, Phil, and thanks. Join me again on the next episode of the Vanguard Podcast. And remember, take care, stay safe, and keep on innovating.